says, get that India, big boy. Hello and welcome back to another edition of the Tip Sheet. As always, I'm your host, John, also known as 4020. And it's Wednesday, it's midweek, it means NRL, it means news, it means... News team, assemble! From the clouds is my good mate, Sixties. Always a pleasure to have you on the tip sheet, mate. How are you holding up on this most dreary of Wednesdays? Mate, you, this week, this week, coming off the Eels' unfortunate performance on the weekend and just the grey sky around us, I don't know if there could be a more fitting week in terms of weather to go with our mood. Of, um, <laughs> not, as support not, not far off, and uh, usually this is the point where we'd be introducing the uh, the what's it called the the fur part of the triumvirate that is the NRL News podcast for the tip sheet. But Spiro has had a clash of schedules this week, and unfortunately can't join us, and we have to put him on hold for the big call up next week. Eh? Yeah, so uh, we're going to put uh, we're going to have extra special, um, let's say, expectations on Spiro. So I'll be messaging him. I'll be letting him know, mate, we're going to be looking for something really special next week. Like Junior Barlow coming back from State of Origin, you're going to have to deliver another standout performance. Absolutely, absolutely. So, uh, yeah, looking forward to resuming normal transmission with Spiro next week. But we've still got plenty of NRL news around, mate, to have a bit of a yeah, chat a about. Little, and, and probably... Um, you know, we're we're light on in the Parramatta talk. Uh, not not that we we haven't got Parramatta stuff to talk about, but geez, there's plenty going on at a couple of clubs yeah, there's, around. There's, there's, the there's a bit of sweet with the Warriors. There's a bit of spicy, uh, also with the Warriors and the Tigers and beyond. There's a lot happening in the NRL that isn't involving the Eels, and that's not a bad thing because uh, obviously coming off that loss, the last thing you need is drama engulfing your club like some of these other NRL franchises. But let's get into it. This is a feels like one of the things that is a constant with the game and it's the, I suppose it's quote-unquote drama, but the international game and players choosing uh, affiliations. Brian To'o coming out today and nominating for Samoa in the World Cup. Obviously, Brian's in the middle of an origin campaign with the Blues. And I, I do think this is a positive. And I think that that move they made to change selection eligibility for New South Wales players and Queensland players and those Tier 2 countries allowing them to represent for origin in Australia but also help grow the game internationally was a very good step, and I think this is the natural progress of it. But this is the rules as they read, right? Tell me if I'm wrong. To qualify for state of origin, you must be eligible and elect to play for Australia and have not represented another Tier 2 nation at senior level. Now, let me just, let me just pull up there. If it read um, or have not represented another Tier 1 nation at senior level, then, to me, anyone that's Tier 2 representatives can declare 
that they would play for their nation rather than Australia and be eligible for origin. Now, I have, I'm happy for To'o and any of the uh, Pacifica Nations players to play for their nation. I'm all for elevating the international game. I believe it needs to be elevated. However, by declaring that he's not going to play for Australia, according to the rules, does he not make himself therefore ineligible for origin? I'm not talking about, I'm not saying he's played origin for New South Wales, therefore he can't play for Samoa. I don't want that. I don't want that at all. What I'm saying is, according to how the eligibility rule reads, the moment that you declare that you're not playing for Australia is the moment that you're no longer eligible for state of origin in that year. Now, let's take, for example, if um, at the start of this origin series, Brian To'o had said, I'm going to play for Samoa. Then, according to the rules, he should not have been selected in origin. He then can go and play for Samoa. Then in 2023, he could say, I would elect to play for Australia if there's any tests this year. And he's then eligible to play Origin for New South Wales in 2023. So the as the rules read, the Tier 2 and 3 players can swap and change allegiances. The Tier 1 countries cannot do that. And that's why it says in the rule and have not represented another Tier 1 nation at senior level. Now, that's as I read it. Am I reading it incorrectly? Well, I, I don't think you're... The way it's in black and white has been printed, I don't think you're too far off. Um, I mean, the the big thing for me was the fact that you get the reset of eligibility at a Rugby League World Cup cycle, which we've seen players, you know, whether it's representing Italy for someone like Nathan Brown or even James Tedesco, then going on to play for the Blues later, uh, become a factor, and also the Pacific Nations too. But the way it's written, if like you said, if you declare for for the the Tier 2 nations in the midst of that current representative calendar for the state of origin, then I suppose it the way, you know, the, like I said, it, taking the rules to their natural uh, conclusion, then probably you are uh, ruling yourself ineligible. Well, just think about, this is the logical thing, right? If you could play for Tier 2 and Tier 3 nations and play Origin, then the rule for Origin eligibility in that first line should simply read, to qualify for State of Origin, you must not have represented a Tier 1 nation. And that's, that's probably how it should be read in the spirit of how at least it feels like they want the, the selections to be, right? That they yeah. want, they want like you know, it's having your cake and eat it too almost. But they do want play the best players playing state of origin because it is the mantelpiece game for rugby league or mantelpiece series, and they would also like to grow their game. So maybe that is an adjustment to the the verbiage that needs to be done. So, but see, as the and and that's that's I've basically been having this debate on social media because people have been saying to me, no, it says and 
and have not represented another tier one nation at senior level. My argument is, and it's all semantics, you'd have to replace the and with the or for them to have their argument. And in which case, if you had the or in there, then it makes to qualify for state of origin, you must be eligible and elect to play for Australia superfluous. The only thing that needs to be written, if you can if you can play origin and play for a tier two or three nation in the same year, then the only thing that you need to declare in there in terms of uh, eligibility, the only rule needs to say you have not represented another tier one nation at senior level. That would be the only rule. That's it. But it's not. It says to qualify for state of origin, you must be eligible and elect to play for Australia. Now, I mean, like, like I said, it, it's, it's in the like, It feels like this is a case of where the spirit of the rules are not written cor- written correctly into the actual rules, because. But the thing, yeah. But the thing is, what do they want Origin to be? See, the reason they've got that rule there is that they want Origin to be filled with players who are available to play for Australia. That's that. That was the, you know, I'm sure that's part of that intent of origin. Now, I don't know that the intent from the controlling bodies has necessarily changed that much because if it had changed, the rule would be rewritten. I suppose I I suppose the argument is this is almost coming from Australia's custodial responsibilities to growing the game alongside Australia also wanting to be, you know, rightfully uh have origin be the cauldron for selection for its best team. So you sort of, you're being pulled two different ways here. Yeah. But see, this is, I mean, my, my argument is right now that given that Toto has made his statement, he shouldn't be playing in origin three. Now that's not meant as targeting Brian Toto for declaring that he wants to play for Samoa or sorry, that he will play for Samoa. Because he's basically, you know, that's basically what he said. People asked him, he was asked on the radio, who are you going to play for in the World Cup? And he said, I'm going to play for Samoa. I'm going to play for my people, for my nation. So he straight away, by virtue of that statement, is no longer eligible for state of origin this year because he has elected to not play for Australia. Now, people in their argument are getting this ass about. They're saying you shouldn't prevent Brian Toto from playing for Samoa because he's played for New South Wales in this series. Oh, I don't think that's the argument. No, because exactly. I think every I think every man yeah. every man and woman and child out there wants to see Brian Toto play for Samoa. And if but you me, can't if if Toto had kept his mouth shut, then this argument never pops up anyway. Probably not, because as it appears, the rulemakers look like they're going to let this whole thing slide. In, in which case, why have the rule? Like the the rule shouldn't even exist. Let's just wipe it because if we're they're ignoring state of origin eligibility rule. Now, fine if that's what they're going to do, but why have the rule then? Well, that, that's so, right. Re, rewrite the rule 
to say, like you have, you said, have that and or cause instead of just being, and like, in, what's it called, uh, an absolute? Like, if you aren't eligible, you can't play. If you don't represent the country, you well, can't play. No, I'm, I'm just saying, just take just take out the first part of it. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, tweak, like, tweak that part. Don't even have and or. Just simply say. To qualify for state of origin, you, you must not have represented another tier one nation at senior yeah, level. Exactly. And that, that way, and it is it, black and white. If you play for, a, if you want to represent a tier two country, uh, then the rules will allow you to do that without any drama. And and for the life of me, I I can't see how no one in the media is actually picking that up. As far as the eligibility eligibility rules are concerned or for how to how to word the eligibility rules like it, it seems to me as i said everyone's got it asked about because they're worried about you know the possibility that uh toto's not able to play for samoa when he's when he's represented new south wales that again that's 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 to me that's not the issue because i'm sure when all's said and done, he's going to represent Samoa. But he's also now representing New South Wales. And according as you know, people might say, you've been a stickler for the rules. Well, mate, what do we want Origin to be? And you know, that, that's if we an want, interesting if question. If we, want, if we want Origin to be a flexible, where um, if it's not a tier one nation, that we will select people who are who have every other um, eligibility criteria as it fits in the flow chart to be selected for either New South Wales or Queensland because it is a flow chart but it starts off and saying you can't even commence this flow chart unless you fit this category which is you know um, eligible and elect to play for Australia All right so if you don't meet that you can't go on with the flow chart. So if the flow chart begins with the statement, you have not represented another tier one nation at senior level, and then bang, were you born in New South Wales or Queensland? They fo- they follow that if and that, that would that would work out fine if that's what they want origin to be. Right? And that's what has to be determined first of all. What do they want origin to be? So if we elevate international football, which I'm all for, and say international football gets the priority. Now, that's a big call because what's the big money earner? Well, yeah. That, State, State of Origin, of origin consistently right? is like the highest rating show, uh, not just among rugby league, just among sport in Australia. Yeah, so getting media rights to Origin is massive, absolutely massive. Now, if if it's declared that the only ones ruled out are players who are played for other tier one nations. And we accept that we could end up in a scenario where 50% of the team won't be available for um, Australian selection after the series is over. So there's, it's almost not a trial at all for Australian representative selection. It used to be in the past. It's probably not so much now because it's uh, Australian teams are often selected at the uh, at the end of the year for matches, um, for tours or for World Cups or, or what have you. So there's probably more international matches played at the end of the season. Then it's probably 
the NRL form that comes in rather than state of origin form. So if they go, you know what, origin's a completely different beast. It's got nothing to do with national selection and make that the identity and a very clear identity and then they rewrite the rules and that's probably the way to go. Um, but they have to bear in mind that there then becomes a consequence that you might have a lot of players in there that have no uh, affiliation or no eligibility to play for Australia or no intent to play for Australia. This is so it simply, becomes, it simply becomes NRL state of origin, almost like an NRL all-stars. So, and this um, is uh, something I am very interested to hear from the listeners on where they stand because I'm speaking for myself, I've certainly become more detached from state of origin the older I've gotten. As a you yep. know, young lad, it was literally the thing. You know, in an, in a given NRL season, no matter how well the Eels are traveling, you'd have your mates over, you'd have you know a huge watch party. Uh, you know, everyone's obviously you know uh, having a good feed and whatnot, and everyone's pumped up and screaming at the TV. But then as you get older and and you know, sort of, I suppose, get out of high school, graduate, all that sort of stuff. Uh, I just, I wouldn't say I lost interest, but like I said, it became detached. And whether it was Queensland being so dominant and, and New South Wales bumbling, I don't know. But also, just it felt like it, it put a strain on your, like on your club. And you look at the Parramatta Eels this year, they've lost a couple of players here and there. And obviously, other clubs have had far heavier uh, tolls from the rep teams in terms of like Penrith Panthers and whatnot. But yeah, so uh, that, that also plays into, a, I suppose, a bit of not ambivalence or apathy, but I just, I, it makes me more of a, a spectator here. So I am interested to hear what people think, whether they're in alignment with me or they think like you 60s where it needs to be definitive. Is it, yes. gonna, it just, you need, you need to pick. Is it going to be the sort of all-stars game that it sort of is right now where you've got, you know, players of all eligibilities coming in and, and making it what it is? Or is it going to be state of origin, New South Wales, Queensland, Australia? Yeah, and, and do you know what? When the state of origin first started and we're going back from uh, out, outside of your timeline there, 40. Yeah, just a few years before this. me, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so when origin first started and it felt like it was a gimmick, like the very first game, but Queensland automatically via their fire and brimstone that approach to the game, they were literally saying, this is no gimmick. This is the real yeah, deal. Exactly. And it seemed to take New South Wales a couple of years to build into, well, more than a couple of years, build into that idea that this is, this is the real deal. And they, Queensland got the jump. But the reason I mentioned this was that, that's what built up, I think, the the flame of passion for Queensland supporters and then the return passion from New South Wales supporters where, like back then, the, the feeling that I had there was Queensland have something more than what we've got. They've, they've, they've got this passion for their state team. We need to have it. We need to have it. So I... I I became really passionate about the results of the of the origin matches and the origin series and I, you'd get angry and frustrated with team selections or or how players would perform I could never understand how 
Queenslanders selected from reserve grade could suddenly be such champion players in an origin in, in an origin context. It used to drive me crazy. I used to I, I hated Wally Lewis for the fact that he could be so brilliant in origin, yet I didn't think he was anywhere near that player in when he when he came and played club football in uh in the Sydney competition. So it was well, no, it wasn't Sydney. It was the you know there was that expansion, but it wasn't the NRL. It was it was still the New South Wales Rugby League um, at that stage. But anyway, I couldn't understand how that was how that was possible. And like you now, I'm like I've had in the last few years offers of Origin tickets to go and watch me, Origin. Me too. I'm not back. <laughs> yeah, me too. My my sister gets some via uh, work every now and then, and she's like, "Do you want to go?" I'm like. Um, I'm okay watching it at home. Yeah, yeah, yeah that, that's exactly that's exactly how I feel. And and to make the matters even stranger, Yoko has been to Origin matches that I haven't been to. <laughs> She's gone with her friends and 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 cheered on the Blues, and and she's a Kiwi from New Zealand. And has and and uh, well, I mean, you know how how she ribs me about uh, how much time I put into Parramatta and how much time I invest in rugby league. She's been to Origin, and I've stayed at home. So it's interesting, yeah. isn't it? Like I said, it's something very interesting to hear from the listeners for uh, where they stand, whether it's uh, apathy for Origin in general. Uh, in terms of the you know the tax it puts on clubs that are trying to be competitive, or whether it's just about the eligibility stuff and, and the identity of Origin moving forwards. Yeah. So anyway, it's um, it it feels like, as I said, there's nothing's going to be done right now, and it's it's almost going to be as if the rules are just been going to be ignored right now, and whether that they're changed in the future. I don't know. I think they've thrown it in the too hard basket right now. <laughs> yeah, it, it feels like a string of band-aids at the moment, so that's that's fair. Uh, but yep. speaking of being on the move, 60s, we've got a bit of a flurry of it's not free agency, I suppose, given that none of his players are off contract, I don't think, but a whole stack of fullbacks are changing clubs for next year, starting with the uh, Warriors. They're saying goodbye to Reese Walsh, who's joining the Brisbane Broncos, his club that he came through as a development prospect before famously signing that big deal with the New Zealand franchise a couple of years back. Um, but with Walsh going to Brisbane, they have a vacancy at fullback, and they're not bringing in one, but two. Tamari Martin will do the old flipper Rudy from um, Brisbane to the Warriors, while Sean's Nicol Clockster is going back home, uh, leaving the Canberra Raiders end of season to rejoin his franchise that he developed with as a young prospect. So interesting situations here because suddenly the Warriors pick up two fullbacks but although Tamari Martin has a bit of utility to where he can play obviously but Brisbane they get their young superstar back that they were very uh, in a, in for I suppose except for the fact they didn't want to debut him but that also creates a drama at fullback because we know that Herbie Farnworth wants to play fullback we know that Selwyn Cobbo wants to play fullback and I know that Walsh can play in the halves too but he is a fullback primarily yeah interesting um you wouldn't necessarily say that this is a straight-out trade either, which makes it um, interesting from the salary cap perspective because the Broncos are releasing Tamari Martin, who we know would be on peanuts. Uh, 60K was the figure in the press today. So yeah, yeah, there, there, yeah. Was, there was a humorous attempt uh, by the press who obviously had a bit of a you know PR feed 
from the Broncos about how they're you know able to afford Walsh on top of everything else they've done because all they've done is secure their young premium talent on premium prices, which is what clubs have to do, right? When you have a young star like the Eels, we're going to have Dylan Brown and whatnot, um, and even more recently for Ryan Madison too. You've got to pay the the piper when it comes. But the justifying for the old, oh, yeah, we're going to get rid of, you know, six, seven, eight mediocre players that are on, you know, just over $100,000 to, you know, afford him. It's like, yeah, but you've got to replace those average players yeah. with guys that are also going to be paid average rates. So... That's it. That's it. I mean, they because they're roster spots that are being filled, and those roster spots, if they're on the base wage, they'll replace them with base wage players. Yeah. So it'll just cancel out completely. Yeah. There is no. There is no. Oh, we'll cut all of these to be able to afford this bloke because yeah, it's it, that's that's a numbers game in terms of um, you know straights. Like yeah, it'd be different if they were releasing, say, players who were on about three hundred thousand, and they were saving two hundred thousand on each of them by replacing them with players between one hundred and one hundred fifty thousand dollar mark. They now have to find players that they can I, uh, put on there that are worthy of being on their roster on that lower amount. I dare say so, now that the Broncos seem to be back on the ascent towards competitiveness in the long term that their uh, long term fiduciary advantage of being a, a one team city uh, even with the likes of the Titans and even the Dolphins on the horizon on the sort of fringes uh, they've got a whole stack of corporate sponsors that are suddenly interested in and being third parties once again maybe yeah I think you're probably close to the the mark there especially when it comes to again it's not the players at the lower end of the market it's the players and the the top end of the market. So, but yeah, it's, um, it's, it's yeah. interesting how it seems to be a flurry of like a positional group that, you know, every year there's a certain, you know, whether it's fullbacks this year, but in the past, you talk about Michael Jennings, the Parramatta Eels. We had Peter Hiku, Michael Jennings, uh, Copley, and I think there might have been someone else. There's, there's always one playing group where it seems to be a flurry of our mid season or, or post season transfers. This year it's fullbacks, it looks like. Yeah. And, and you mentioned the, the Warriors. I think they're, they're looking just to get some um, higher quality players and then they'll work out what position. Yeah, I think, I think you can argue that, especially CNK, but Tamara Martin's definitely shown a bit of spark since he came back from that, uh, well, it's a bit of an incredible comeback, but was it breeding on the, breeding, bleeding on the brain? Uh, and he's been quite good for the Broncos. They're, they're two floor raises for the Warriors and that'll help them you know, be more consistent. So like you said, you get two quality acquisitions and then you find a place to play him after. Yep, absolutely. Moving on to the Shire now, we've got a bit of a developing story here as COVID hits the Cronulla Sharks, in particular Nicholas Hines. And the big part about that was that he was in New South Wales camp this week before testing positive. And I think the latest is that all Blues have come back negative on their RATs. But as you can personally attest to 60s, if you're uh, exposed to COVID, you can have a couple of days of negative tests before it actually, you know, uh, what's it called? breaks the uh, inoculation phase, whatever it is, and then actually infects you. Yeah, so I'm sure everyone's been through this. Myself, the entire family, when I was testing them, it was negative test results for two, three, four days before the positive result came in. And I know myself, I treated, I treated myself as if I had COVID as soon as the symptoms hit. And the 
the negative tests meant nothing to me because I knew I had it. The, the throat was, I, I didn't get much worse than a sore throat, but it was extraordinarily sore. It was, I was, I was of no doubt what I had. Mm. So, uh, and it, but yeah, it, it, it came through like three or four days later and the, the same for the rest of the family. So I'm sure that, and, that there's everyone else has gone through something similar and gee, you'd have to think there's a, a, a real risk because there's, there's been exposure and uh, unless the players have a really good immune system or have uh, been um, maybe they've had COVID themselves in a, a period of time, which has built up their immunity. I don't know, but you'd have to think there's a risk factor going into this uh, next origin game for those blues players. Yeah, and obviously that includes Parramatta Eels Junior Barlow and, and sort of what that means for him if there is an actual COVID outbreak, uh, he would be out for I think it's a minimum of a week, isn't it? Um, yeah. So that that could call him into doubt for round eighteen, uh, which would be the New Zealand Warriors, I believe. So that's definitely a, a wait and see there, but more you know pressing for representative football like we just spoke of origin uh are gonna have to wait and see what that means for the blues actually speaking of the sharks he's got a breaking story for you uh just had a quick look at the news cycle and saw a new article uh britain nicora has re-upped with cronoa for three more years so that ends a long i wouldn't say saga because it wasn't that dramatic but the, he's certainly linked to the eels at one point i think the dragons too uh, but he has chosen to re-sign with the club that sort of made him in the nrl yeah, and I, look, I applaud those sorts of moments. I I think as long as the club that he's staying at isn't doing anything that they shouldn't be doing in terms of salary cap, I'm I'm all for uh, clubs Cronulla, being able. Cronulla to definitely pay. don't have a history of uh, not being cap compliant, by the way. So yeah, no, no, they're uh, they're fine. We weren't over the cap before 2016. Weren't over the cap before after 2017. You know, they, they may, maybe they were, but they definitely were under the cap in 2016. They, they, were, they were under the cap on grand final. That, I love how it was worded in that whole thing. And obviously, uh, Stones and Glass Houses, we know that the Paramount Eels have also dudded the cap too. Uh, we were just really bad. Yeah, we were just really bad at it. We were, and it, we were just awful. And it, we it were, is. We were, we were, we were so bad that the NRL compliant. couldn't ignore it. That, that is how bad it was. And. It is just fun. Po- it's more fun. Spoonies. Exactly, and it's less an attack on Cronulla, more poking fun at the NRL for how sloppy they are when it comes to cap compliance. But yes, yeah. good, good for them. Britain Nakora, good young back rower, and uh, it'd be a nice piece for them to continue to build around. Um, if we have good news for the Sharks, although it was like I said, that bittersweet COVID in one hand, resigning the other, um, we go to a club where, since it's a day ending in a Y, you know there must be drama about Luke Brooks has hit out at the constant leaks from uh, officials above him at the club. I suppose in the context of Brooks this time, it would have been ahead of that international and representative bye week. There were reports that uh, surfaced saying that he was going to be dropped. And then after, whether you believe the shark, the shark, the Tigers backpedaled or it was a, ma- a fabricated leak to create drama, uh, Brooks ended up playing and starting against the New Zealand Warriors, where they did have a great game, more on that to follow. Uh, but he's hit out at the constant leaks and, and it was uh, pretty pretty open about it, saying he's pretty sick and tired of the constant and non-stop uh, sort of leaks in the media. I, I, I'm not sure how to take this because in, in one respect, there's a part of me 
that's doing my impersonation of Mr. Burns with excellent as we're about to face the, the Tigers. And then there's that other part of me that goes, hmm, what if this goes the other way where it fires up the, the <laughs> yeah, players and yeah. the team that they're, they're hitting the news like I, this? I can definitely see this being used as bulletin board material for Saturday. Um, not not because it involves Parramatta, but just you know a chance for him to hit out and say, "Told you so." I've, I've still got it, and whether you believe that or not, but yeah, I mean, you can understand why he is frustrated. I can also understand why there are leaks about it because it's uh, been a long, long running thing, and, and the amount of leash that he's been given as a player is probably almost unprecedented. Uh, but once again, it doesn't mean that the, the leaks are the right thing to do. Oh, look, leaks, leaks are... It reminds me of a certain club we we support back in the day where you have board-level leaks all the time and it's so destabilising. Oh, look, the the Tiger Town show last year was like watching a car. Yeah, car crash. You you were just watching it and, and given that as viewers we knew what was coming in the way of results and the the episodes were catching us up over that period of time it, it was like you were waiting for that next episode because you were thinking oh this is you know how are they going to react to this and we and it was what we thought it was going to be it was just a mess so now you've got the scenario where the leaks have happened to certain journalists it's been something that you have to wonder whether what was the purpose of the leaks now because Luke yeah. Brooks wasn't <laughs> dropped right where the leak was saying that it was so was the leak put out um, strategically to either a find the source of a leak like did they actually leak it to a particular get a, a speak to someone in the club see if that person would leak it and then by leaking it, they know who the source of the leak is. That's that's one that's one little avenue of espionage um, detection that you could mm-hmm. that you could use. Or was the leak there to maybe force the hand of Luke Brooks in his decision making about wanting to be out of the club? Um, I don't know. The way I see it now is that. From the outside looking in, it looks like the the distance between the football operation and the football office couldn't be wider. But this isn't the only issue going on in there, is it? Mate? Oh well, you know, naturally, if you have Luke Brooks hitting out at the leaks, you'd have to have some leaks today to make it even spicier. And James Hooper is reporting today that following their team list Tuesday team sheet where Adam Dwahi was named in the centres, uh, Dwahi has confronted Brett Kamali and given him an ultimatum saying, pick me at number six or put me in the New South Wales Cup. And it's kind of, I suppose, amusing because in that long sort of a chat that Brooks had where he hit out against the leaks, he actually went on to say that uh, he thinks that Dwahi will be a great number six and it's his best position. And here we have uh, Dwahi actually handing out an ultimatum saying, pick me over Brooks. Um, yeah. yeah, so uh, that's definitely follow this because I know people you know will meme on it being James Hooper and how he's fabricating stories or you know embellishing 
things, and maybe he is. But, you know, unfortunately, when the media get a lead on these things, they're like bloodhounds on a scent, and they will just pull it apart until they get what they want. And I think that Hooper might have something here. So, yeah, it's... Uh, well, I, I, do you know what? I think in this instance, you, you'd say, not like if you doubted the story, you probably wouldn't doubt the journo here and people know that i'm not a big fan of this particular journo for certain reasons and but by the same token you have to go look a journo is not going to conjure up in his own mind something so bizarre as this sequence of leaks the likelihood is if he's any error that he's made or where it is would be wrong is from the person that's given it to him and trusting whatever whoever his source is so if he's if if it's a completely fabricated story then you start pointing the finger at a source and maybe then at the journo for believing a source that shouldn't be believed you have to suggest then that it's someone within the West Tigers that's saying something. Now, whether it's someone that has the uh, authority or the right or has any sort of knowledge whatsoever is another thing because we know that people will say, I've been talking to someone in the club and they say this and that. And it's happened with our own club and people have tried to you know, say to me different things. And um, look, one of the funniest things was, uh, and I use this as an example, um, I had a, a a reader, or no, not a reader, someone who was also reporting on Parramatta, and they reported that during the preseason um, that Hayes Dunster had been training in the centres, and that he'd been uh, he hadn't seen it, but he'd been informed by an Eels insider that this was the case. Yeah, so, <laughs> and I, I at that stage I'd watched every preseason field session, and it hadn't happened once. And I said, well, no, it hasn't happened. Oh, no, this, no, the, the, the person I, who's told me would, they know. They've watched it. They've seen it. They know what's going on. And I said, okay, well, yeah, you, yeah, if you would like to believe them, but I'm, I'm just telling you what what I've seen. Now, they could go and say that I, I only use that as an example, right? I'm not using it as an example of anything about myself or about the Parramatta Club. I'm just saying when you get word from the inverted comma insider, you have to have some sort of um, appreciation of who that insider is and whether they do have access to the information that they're talking about. So if if someone like Dwahi has given an inf- an ultimatum to Brett Kamali, who can provide that sort of information? Now, it's probably, you'd have to think, it's not been done in front of other players, that he's not fronted him in front of the playing group and said out loud, you either select me at 5'8 or put me in the New South Wales Cup. Professionals don't carry on like that. It would be something that would have been done 
behind closed doors in a coach's office. Yeah, would, the, I, would that not I, be the case, yeah, I, right? I would be stunned if, at, like in a field session, he'd called out the coach and said, "Pick me at five eight four, put me in cup." That, yeah, that, or in a team, or in a team meeting. Yeah, that right? that that stuff happens in Hollywood. It doesn't happen. Yeah, 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 and it's and that does nothing for team harmony with the blokes that you've got to play alongside because. Uh, within any team, like if you've got the if you've got those two players, they're competing for spots in the team. You'd have people that would be in the Dwahi camp that are players. You'd have players that would be in the Brooks camp. You know, their players have got their close mates, and the ones that aren't the the mates that have their own opinions about how they would perform better. So you're gonna you're gonna ostracise someone if you make a statement in front of everyone with an that is an ultimatum. Because do players make ultimatums to coaches? Like it's funny you know, because that, in in American sports, it's become more and more player driven, where they can essentially run franchises depending on the the code or the sport. But in the NRL, I, I just don't think I don't think we're in a position where uh, I mean we we are seeing far more agency when it comes to players being able to you know get out of contracts. But insofar as that sort of selection ultimatum, it'd be unprecedented. It feels like. I, I feel, and this is just my take on this, I feel that there's a Chinese whispers at at play here where, um, you know, maybe the maybe it's gone from the, the point of view of, of Dwar, he's had a conversation with Kamali and he's, he's maybe said something like, you know, I really, I'm coming back from, from this long layoff. I've, I, Five eight is the is my goal. I'd much prefer that you'd you know if you if you're not confident with me at five eight in first grade, could you please consider playing me at five eight in New South Wales Cup so I can I can build up again the what I you know my thinking my play um, around the five eight role, mm-hmm. and that that maybe there was a conversation that happened along those lines, and that. Somehow, someone's got wind of that, and that it's suddenly it's become Dwahi's put it to Kamali as an ultimatum. It's a, so yeah, it could it, I could absolutely see it playing out like you said, where it's uh, not a mountain out of a molehill. It's obviously a little bit more significant than that, insofar as the the Tigers have just got issues personnel wise and and whatnot. But the media would certainly be able to uh, make a snowball turn into a. Much bigger uh, entity, I suppose. Yeah. So I reckon what's happened is that um, you know someone said someone's got wind of it. If it, if this is true, someone's got wind of it. They've said uh, maybe what is a low level, a low key conversation. They've said, oh, by the way, Dwayne wants to play five eight, and he's 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 told Kamali that, which then becomes a, the he, yeah, he then becomes down, the ultimate exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I, I, you know, that's. That's my thought of the the path that this has probably taken, because as I said, I I can't see it evolving from a confrontation like if, that or uh, a confrontation where other people are privy to it. Play the um, and, the old uh, attorney for uh, Satan himself. If there was a franchise in the NRL that would have a player hand down an ultimatum, it would be the poor West Tigers. Uh, yeah, but yeah, I'm inclined to lean a few, mate. Where. There's obviously a conversation that's been had here. I think there is actually basis for this rumor, but I doubt that he has come out and and 
you know, called out the coach, be it an interim coach or not, and said, pick me or drop me. Yeah, yeah. So that's where I said I, I'm sure the issue is either A, um, the source and what they whether they are a reliable source or whether how they've reported it to the journo, or B, <laughs> that the journos come up with all the particular wording that makes it a bigger deal than what it necessarily was. So, um, but like you, I think there's been there's been a seed of something, but you know, I mean, what sort of conversations do players have with coaches through the year? You know, behind closed doors about you know what they'd like to achieve because I'm sure that there are plenty of conversations that are had between coaches and players where players might indicate a preference to be given an opportunity in a particular position. Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, like it could have been simply no more than that. And, you know, as you say, it's there, the West Tigers are the, are the club that's going to cop some of that now. I mean, we're going to cop our share and have been copping our share because of the inconsistent. Oh, absolutely. If, If you do stupid things or do not perform, you cop it. And Parramatta yes. has absolutely copped it for that in, in regards to their inconsistency, as much as they've been leveraged with praise as a potential premiership contender after beating a lot of the good teams. So yeah. you, you take the good with the bad, you get your lumps when you deserve them, and unfortunately the West Tigers, they're a bit of a joke uh, from top to bottom, from administration to the football operations, and this sort of stuff is a natural extension of it, and it creates these sort of doubts and the ability for the media to turn a snowball into an avalanche. So, yeah. Anyway, if we uh, talk about the Greek and tra- or Grecian tragedy that is the West Tigers, we've got a, a nice little uplifting rugby league story that came out of last week with the return of the NRL to New Zealand. The Warriors went back to their home in Mount Smart Stadium and fittingly uh, smacked the West Tigers around 22-2. to uh, It was a sellout game, 60s. It was on the back of the sellout international game between New Zealand and Tonga. Good to see rugby league going strong after a long hiatus from the land oh, of the long white cloud. Mate, that was probably the best thing from the last couple of weeks was seeing the passion for rugby league over in New Zealand because they've, I mean, they've really been without top-level rugby league. And look, television coverage can only do so much to fully whet the appetite yeah. of, of people who are absolute rugby league fanatics. The, and I know there are people who are, who are fans from a distance and there's not too much that they can do about it and they have to be watching via media broadcasts and then that that's their way that they can be a fan there isn't any other way they might live in another country they might live remotely in australia uh, might live in a state that's that uh, isn't visited by top level rugby league too often it's you know that they have to follow as they can but for the hardcore New Zealand rugby league supporters, it was good to see so many of them pack into the ground for both of the, those events. And given how the Warriors have been travelling, even more encouraging that they were able to turn out in such big numbers and for the Warriors to respond. That's the so, big thing is that they, they didn't stink it up. They came home. The emotion didn't overwhelm them. They channeled it in a positive fashion. Yeah, it's the West Tigers. We obviously we meme on them for not being not being a good football team, whether they've beaten the Eels on Easter Monday or not. But yeah, it, it was a watershed moment for the franchise because they've been through hell. 
the you know no team copped it worse throughout this extended COVID period than the New Zealand Warriors, you know, to the point where they weren't even the New Zealand Warriors; they were the Sunshine Coast Warriors, I suppose you could argue, uh, at times, and even the Taree Warriors at times, given that they did their entire preseason out of there. And you know they've they've rolled with those punches. They've come home, and I mean, I'm to this to this day, I'm still of the view that if the NRL is you know legit next year or 2024, whatever it is, where, how the scheduling needs to be done. They have a full season in New Zealand where their away games are played across the country to help grow the game and reward the Warriors for, you know, shouldering a burden that no other club had to during that long, long period. Uh, that's an interesting take you've gone on. I can't see it happening, um, mainly because of the fact that you, and I know what you're suggesting is that they're not necessarily home matches, but they are played on uh, that every every Sydney team that plays against them we'll go, gives up we'll go match to, Wellington, to play remote, yeah, like in, in different locations. That's right, and in New Zealand, that, and that, that's an interesting. That is an interesting uh, concept. With that, the uh, probably the only issue with that. Uh, well, I mean, it, it's it's removing one of the issues, which is giving a significant advantage to one team by having all their matches as home matches, so they wouldn't be. Um, played at their home ground. So that's an interesting take on that. But uh, you, you've also got the scenario where there are teams that wouldn't have to travel over to New Zealand as part of their schedule and would get um, by no um, choice the of their indirect own. advantage, exactly, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, that, and that's the, that's the vagaries of the NRL draw where everyone doesn't play everyone twice. Mm-hmm. And there would be... Different, and I know we went through that with COVID, where there were different burdens placed on different teams, and and they had to suck it up and 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 go with it. Um, yeah, but I, 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 that's probably the most interesting take on it, mate, that I've heard about um, you know playing them in different locations around New Zealand. Because um, at least you can make an argument for developing the game across yeah. other parts of New Zealand in that regard, and you get to reward the franchise that. Like I said, shouldered a burden that no one had, no one else had to. So I mean, maybe you can't do the full suite of away games in that regard, but maybe a, a portion of them can be done that way for teams that are willing to volunteer it. I don't know. Well, yeah, well, no. Look, what you just said then for teams that are willing to volunteer it. So if Parramatta said, "Do you know what? We're not going to take a game to Darwin." Next year, but we will go to Christchurch, or we will go. We'll to go to yeah, we'll go Otago. to Christchurch when we play New Zealand. And this is our way of thanking the New Zealand Warriors for um, their what they sacrificed during their time uh, uh, during the COVID time. Now I'm being cunning there because I'm trying to get Parramatta <laughs> away from Darwin next year. Yes, that that would be uh, not not necessarily a win-win, but I would take it insofar as the uh, opportunity cost. I feel like going to Christchurch or Dunedin or Otago, wherever it is. Uh, is a much lesser strain on the old football resources than the trip to Darwin against the Cowboys. Look, I've got a few topics that I'm assembling for the bumpers up, and I, I might just throw that in there now. I've I've, I've thought about that on the run, and uh, given your idea, so bang, that's going to go. That, that'll go. that'll go into the bumpers exactly. up. Exactly, it's uh, editorialing on the fly. There, you got to love it. All right, let's <laughs> uh, wrap up the chat with a quick look at the Parramatta Eels, mate. This is, after all, a Blue and Gold podcast when it is all said and done. Uh, we're not going to go too much into depth because we do have the preview podcast coming up later this week, but let's take a quick look at the team sheet. A couple of changes this week, one enforced by Origin. 
uh, with uh, Junior Barlow obviously at the Blues. But as it goes right now, you got Guffer fullback, unchanged back lines. That means Sivo, Simonson, Blake, Panasini, unchanged halves, Brown and Moses. Uh, starting in the front row alongside Reg is Maradonia Kore, Reid Money, dummy half. Then in the back row, you've got Lane Papali'i with Ryan Madison named to return. On the bench, it's Makatoa, Opachik as the utility back, Kafusi and Kai Rodwell. Extended lineup, Brown of the Nathan variety, Jake Arthur, Sean Russell, Wiramu Gregg and Hayes Perham. Taking on the aforementioned West Tigers at Leichhardt. And like I said, we won't go too much into depth uh, on the matchups and how this game will play out because that's the nature of the preview podcast. But we've got Murata starting over other options there. We've always we, This is something we bring up constantly is about the balance between the starters and the interchange forwards where you need some guys to bring you some juice and energy off the bench. Murata being one of the premier options for the club in that regard. Do you like the, the figura- configuration sorry, of the forward pack as it stands? I don't like Murata as a starter. I, I, I'm... And that's not meant as a reflection on Murata. No, it, who's it's, clearly it's a quality meant. player. Yeah, I think he brings more juice coming off the bench. I, I think he's an impact player rather than a worker. And I think by starting the game, he's he's being used more as a worker than an impact player. I, you know, I could be completely wrong with that, but uh, I, do you know what? I'm going to go. I'm going to go left field mm-hmm. with what I would have. Uh, done there, which is uh, I would have been looking to start either Oregon or Kai Rodbull. Now, for for different reasons with the two. Number one, I think Oregon's playing some of his best football at the moment, Mm -hmm. and I think he's been quite consistent with that. Secondly, I'd be looking at Rodwell from the point of view that we are we are wanting someone to bring the energy at the start, right? Now, I just said that I wouldn't. I, I prefer Murata bringing energy off the bench because I I think he's he's the en- his energy doesn't happen as much starting the game. His energy comes when he's. And I'm talking about when he's playing in the forwards, not when he's playing out yeah, the back. Yeah, obviously when he's a centre, it's a different it's two different. Yeah, yeah, it's two different things with the workloads, right? And I think he's a great impact forward. I don't think he brings as much energy starting in the forwards. I don't think that's too controversial. I tend to feel the same, especially when you have him on the bench, you have that increased flexibility where you can play him in the back row if required or in the centres if required, and he comes in fresh, ready to make an impact and make a difference. Yeah, and and likewise, I think Rodwell. I mean, can you imagine, like, how revved that bloke would be to be selected to start, getting his first NRL start, mm-hmm. getting his first NRL start? Now, like, that's not the sole reason, but I, I'm I'm looking for us to start differently because we, I've talked about it before. In there's been only three games this year where Parramatta was first on, first points on the board. Three matches. Yeah, that, that was a, a great point you brought up and it's something I've been discussing with a few other people that we've been slow, uh, starting too slow far too often. Yeah, so we were, and, and look, it's there's been different reasons for that. Like there, We've won games where we haven't been first on the board, but we've also seen plenty of games where 
we know this isn't going to be a good game in that first five minutes. Like we just we've started poorly, and the other teams either got an advantage straight away, or the other team has has weathered us throwing a whole lot of action at them without direction. Like you know, we've we've seen that against the where we we bombed tries against the West Tigers in the first time that we played them, and there, there's we brought a whole lot of action in games against the Titans and. Um, even though we were first to score there, it was like it was chaotic. It was chaotic action. I, I, I'm after good, really good, strong energy where we build towards getting those first points, not where we're looking to go wham-bam at the start and bring errors instead of just good, positive energy out on the field. And, I, and I've just got that feeling that Rodwell would be someone who, who – could perhaps bring that now that's just my preference there what about yourself mate yeah so i think i wouldn't mind oregon starting i also remind uh, uh, makahesi starting too i suppose it comes down to the balance and i think that reg being the worker in that uh, junior reg partnership means that Oggy's probably the better fit there and then you can let maka and murata pair up as that similar uh, workhorse and impact player off the bench um, I do like the idea. Kai Robble is a player. We, obviously, we've speak, spoken highly of him for a long time. I wouldn't mind seeing him get a more featured role. And I think it, I mean, he's trending that way too. Obviously, he got that minute against the Roosters. Then he played some solid minutes against South Sydney. So I think he is trending up into a position where they're going to trust him uh, with uh, an increased responsibility. So maybe that's this week. Um, but I think I, I like your shout. Oregon to start, bring Murata back to the bench. And this is all on play still because uh, we know that the team with situation is flawed right up until kickoff where you lock in your starting 13. Uh, but yeah, I, I am inclined to agree with you there. And I suppose the other question too is, I know he's named, but we'll have to wait and see if there's any more developments on it come the uh, preview podcast. But we know rib injuries can be tricky. Ryan Madison has to have a shade of doubt over his person until I see him take the field, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. So we, we that's a that's a wait and see there on, on, on what happens. You would expect that if he's out that, uh, Nathan Brown would get the call up there and straight into the starting uh, spot. You reckon? Well, look, it could it could very well be. Oh, it could very you mean, well be coming back to your guy. You, I suppose you could start Kai Robwell at lock, and then put Brown on the bench, and then have them rotate between the, the two spots there. So, yeah, I think I think Brown would have a point to prove. True, and but, look, I didn't get to see the game, but looking at his numbers, it seems like he had a solid game against the Rabbitohs in reserve grade. Um, and, and yeah, I've, I've back. Seemed to have a pretty good outing in general. Yeah, his his numbers his numbers were really really good. Um, I, I I've had some people that said, oh, I wasn't so sure that those numbers are a reflection of the game, but it, it's hard to you know like those numbers don't invent themselves. So you, you'd have to say that he's if if he's producing those sorts of numbers that he's he's looking to aim up. Um. Uh, I suppose the only other thing to talk about there is the selection of Opacic on the bench. And, I mean, I think Spiro had some strong feelings on this one, and it's unfortunate he couldn't articulate them to us. But, honestly, I'm at the point... You know I've been critical of, of the rotations and whatnot we have on the bench across the last few years, but if we are only going to use 16 forwards, or 16 players, but the forwards on the bench, three of them consistently, I would actually prefer having utility back or someone that can cover sort of off-the-wall emergency spots rather than a forward that doesn't get used. 
and Opachik at least allows you to cover a huge hole in the back line if something goes sideways there. Yeah, look, uh, uh, there's been a lot of people that have been highly critical of his selection and saying that, you know, what's the point of having a back there that you might bring on for a, a few minutes just to give him a run at the end if there, there's there's no reason to use him, that you're only really rotating uh, 16 players out there. And do you know what? It's I don't think it's... I mean, BA's not on his own in selecting backs on the bench. No, it's uh, definitely, uh, a, definitely a trend of the modern game, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, Mel- yeah, the uh, Melbourne Storm love having a back on the bench when it's uh, required, so... Yeah, and I noticed that uh, Souths have two halves listed on their bench this weekend, too. So... It's, um, yeah, it, look, it's it's not, that's not as, like, I think people who are being critical of that are probably looking for reasons to be critical. Now, is that necessarily the way that I would go? I don't know. I think that's, I could argue that I'd like four forwards on the bench, or I could argue that I'd like to have a, a, a backup, a bit more of a utility, say, than, but than we've, what... We've, we've seen this year that the 4-4 on the bench has been surplus to requirements, and how you stand on that is fine if, you, if you're if you against, you know, whether you think Arthur should be using the 4-4s more aggressively in rotation, okay. But we were we are using three forwards off the bench. The fourth person, whether it's been Bryce Cartwright, Jake Arthur, uh, whoever, has been largely surplus to requirements. If that's the case, I would prefer having, like you said... If it's a, a guy that's a super utility, obviously fantastic. If we had a Will Smith or if they felt Brendan Hands was ready to go, that'd be fantastic. But outside of that, having Opachik there just to, to patch up an emergency hole, I am comfortable with that. Oh, I'm I'm very comfortable with it. I, I, as you talked about the other players there before, in the same way, I had no problems with Jake Arthur being there on the bench to be able to, to cover there, I had no problems with Bryce Cartwright being on the bench and and being able to cover if need be. So he's shown his hand with those sort of scenarios in the in the past. Other coaches are doing similar things with the backs. I don't think it's anything that's unique to Parramatta there. And uh, you know, to to mine, I think the where that's being. Um, you know, it's it's funny. I bet some of the same people were also saying that they wouldn't have wanted Opachik dropped, that they would have preferred yeah. him to be picked yeah. in, say that he earned his place in the the centre and and keep Wonga Blake on the wing. I mean, it's it, it's it's interesting. It's I I think if you can, uh, you know, find a reason to be critical of the coach or the selections, you'll find a reason. Now we've been we've been saying here to, in, in this podcast, we don't we don't agree with all the selections we have different ideas about what how we would have gone so it's not as if we're going well he's he's right with everything yeah, one to 17 is sweet yeah exactly there's you know, you know difference of opinions absolutely within the selection and uh but it may, may imagine if um if teams were selected based on popular fan vote uh, wouldn't you I, get I, some strange teams I, there, there is a, a wicked part of me that would love to see that because of how much of a car crash it would be for so many franchises, if you gave us pundits in the box, in the in the, <laughs> the bleachers in the boxes, the control to team sheets. Uh, <laughs> speaking of the team sheet sixties, in my quick cliff notes, I mentioned it in Team was Tuesday, but no junior, potentially no Madison. So obviously there is an onus on the forwards to step up and have a a sold game where they share the workload around. But I can't help but think, looking at that team, 
looking at the performance out of the game against South Sydney, that this is a game against the Tigers where the 1, 6, 7 and 9 have to own it. And we'll talk about it more on the preview podcast, but that is that was what immediately grabbed my attention was, I know no junior, maybe no Ryan Madison if that rib injury is still playing up, but it's got to be the spine. They've got to step up. They've got to control the game, dominate the, the territorial and positional battle, and they've got to you know strike when the iron's hot when it comes to converting pressure into points. I honestly believe that when it came to the spine, that that was arguably their most ineffective performance that I've seen this season. Uh, and we can we can break it down. I, I I wrote about the issues team wide rather than going at, uh, targeting the spine in my post this week. But I actually started off on the post where I was pointing the finger at the, at the spine needing to lift and ne- just needing to do so much better than what than than what had happened in in some recent matches and then I thought do you know what there's still issues that I'm concerned about across the team in terms of that desire to be a winner or yeah to because it, it, there are so many aspects the outside backs need to work harder to start the foundational sets coming out of your half the spine we already spoke about need to be far more polished and dominant like they need to want to call the shots we need, yeah. the, we need the forwards who i fought tried hard against south sydney in adverse conditions but we need them to not do silly offloads we need to dominate the possession in that regard get our completions yeah and yeah and and you know it's See, isn't it interesting because I've uh, you just talked about no silly offloads, no silly passes, and there was there was criticism about us not being adventurous enough against well, what, South. What, what has been your bugbear on all our bad losses this year has been us playing side to side when we haven't earned the right by dominating from yep. the middle. A- absolutely, absolutely. So this is you know there there are so many different takes from us as supporters out there. So I'm including myself with every other supporter out there with all of our different takes on on what's happening, what's going wrong, what we should be doing in certain matches, what we shouldn't be doing in certain matches. Um, you know, I, I had it said within my own family, oh, you know, where we lost because we just stuck to trying to play wet weather football and not offloading enough. In the in the game and and South played an expansive game of football that we refused to play and I'm thinking no I I didn't want us to play expansive until there but were South, opportunities the, the to be that way. Of South football came on the back of dominating the field position. That Ilias kicked us to death and their forward pack rolled up their sleeves and won the rock. Yeah, so look, we we can break down all those aspects about what went wrong from a football perspective um, last week, but. There are two glaring things. One is, as a as a as a team, that we're not thinking and playing like winners. Whether that's in the in the head, in the heart, whatever the case may be, we're not. And and who have the major say in that? Which players have the major say in that? Well, it's the it's the leaders out on the field. Now, the leaders. I'm not talking about senior players. The leaders out on the field are the ones that handle the ball the most and that provide the direction. So you're talking about the spine, as you've called them out. So we need to see that now. We won't talk too much more about it because, again, that comes back to the our preview podcast. 
But I liked your take on that in Team List Tuesday. And I hope uh, people out there that have got their opinions have, have got onto Team List Tuesday, had a read. And you might have had a read, but please add your thoughts on that as well. Um, just And just to finish off, mate, I, I just to talk to the, the listeners, I, I got out to Eels training yesterday because I was really keen to Brave see. the elements. Well done. Yeah, yeah. Um, got out there, got out there in the elements in the – uh, you know, it was awful conditions at times. the The rain was go- coming in sideways because of the because of the wind. Um, wasn't uh, you know? It wasn't pleasant for the players to be out there. But um, you know, then again, when, when you're a kid, what do you love playing in? You love playing in the wet and the mud, playing your football in those conditions. So um, maybe that's why I thought the energy was quite good. In the session, hey, and historically we've seen the Eels bounce back from those sort of losses with a good performance. So, like we said when we approached that Roosters game, it's not about beating the Roosters because the odds are we're going to turn up with a good game after getting trounced by the Bulldogs. It's about the long term consistency, and yeah. so I'm I'm expecting a good performance this week against the West Tigers, and I'll probably back that into my preview tips. But yeah, I just need to see this team show that it's not even about losing the game. Like, it's about losing in a manner which you then start the question whether they've got the, the consistency to go the three or four in a row they need in the, in the finals. So Well, my, my concern, as I, as I said it in, in my um, spotlight post, is that if you've got that fluctuation between the winning and the losing, uh, each happening with equal frequency one or the other is going to become the habit and losing can be as much of a habit and a result of habit as can winning be. So my concern this week is this isn't a case of I'm expecting us to bounce back. I believe that we have to bounce back, not just in the result, but in the manner that we play as well, because we can't afford for any more bad habits to creep in. It's just, it's not acceptable now. It's, and I'm not talking about from the point of view that we're going to miss finals or whatever. I mean, that, that can, that can perhaps be a consequence, but the mindset right now, I, we can't afford for it to, to deteriorate. And it's, it's not where it should be. It's not the mindset of winners. The team have shown that the processes are there, the systems are there for them to win some of the toughest clashes they're going to come into. They've shown that in the right circumstances, when I say the right circumstances, but what I should say that when they're put under pressure, that they do have resilience within them. That's to, what makes it all the more frustrating is that they've literally dealt with some of the most adverse playing conditions when it comes to roster availability, officiating, and uh, what's it called, hostile uh, stadiums. Like they've gone to some of the biggest graveyards in the NRL in Amy Park and Blue Bat Stadium and had bad officiating calls with a roster that, you know, is a borderline New South Wales Cup backline in some spots because of the, the injury crisis that availed the team. And they won. And yet you come to these other games and they're just, they're like a headless chook. So, yeah. It, yeah. It, I mean, we, we literally, um, I, I know that we, we lost Maddo to injury, but we were, 
very, very close to as far as the players that are available being there. You know, it was it was almost all hands on uh, are back on deck for these games that we've been losing, and it's that's you know as I said, it's it's just unacceptable that they they don't have that sort of mindset that they should and yeah it, I, I got to that point where I couldn't come up with and didn't want well maybe it's that I didn't want to come up with or refuse to come up with a reason for it because you and I we try and break down in our post-match an analysis from a football perspective but it went beyond football mate because that, that loss last week we can say or oh, these players didn't do this, or this happened at this point, or this that happened at that point. It 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 came back to where their heads were at, and as I said, maybe where their hearts were at in that match, and it wasn't there where it needed to be. And we need to see it this this week, and we'll talk more about it on Friday. But um, look, I suppose the there was some positive signs that I saw in the level of energy despite the conditions at, at training yesterday. And I just hope that the preparation continues to be what it should be. I did indicate that last week the players didn't execute what I saw them trained to do. And I don't want to see that anymore mm-hmm. because there isn't an excuse for that. No. And it doesn't, you know, you, I know you can only play as well. There's a saying, you can only play as well as the opposition lets you as well. But... um Look, while Souths were good and, well, they were better than they had been, uh, I, I would still say that a number of other finals-bound team, finals teams defeat Souths last week. Yeah, so, I, I agree. And, and look, we, we did talk about how Souths turned up for the game and whatnot, but yeah, like you said, if you were... If you're fair dinkum about making that big push in the finals, you've got to handle business in those games. And that uh, is a nice little teaser, I think, for the preview podcast on Friday. Uh, because this is going to be about handling business this week and and yep. beyond. It is about building an actual platform that you can grow from and actually start winning consistent games. So, yeah, that's uh, for the preview podcast. I think we'll wrap it up there because we have been talking for an awful long time, as we all want to do. As always, thanks for stopping by and giving us a listen on the tip sheet. It does mean a whole lot to us. We have some cool stuff in the works. Uh, going to have a sit down with some great characters in the coming weeks to talk about, uh, footy and beyond. But until then, we'll catch you on the preview podcast and hope you guys stay well. Go you wheels.